Uh, what up, Isaac? What's going on? So, uh, I don't know if you heard yet, but uh, apparently Joe Biden's coming to take our guns. I have heard uh, that it's been something that they've talked about before they got elected. Them and, uh, them as in Kamala Harris and Biden as a priority. Well, any uh, any thoughts? Um, I think there needs to be some re- reasonable approach. I am definitely a pro-Second Amendment person, but there definitely needs to be some different approaches for a 21st century. Well, and one one thing Biden repeatedly said is that nothing that he's proposing is inconsistent with the Second Amendment, which mm. is true. Yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we say it shruggingly, or at least I'd I'd shrug when he says technically. Um, there's some interesting approaches that they put on the table, like taxation and things like that, taxing your bullets and taxing guns and. I mean, technically you got your rights, but it's being taxed, which is, I think that can be a very slippery slope. Well, um, it's, it's just interesting to me because, uh, one thing that, um, Biden got a lot of shit for when he was on the campaign is, um, like people saying, oh, he, he thinks he's like better than Obama. Mm. Um, and everyone was, was terrified that Obama was going to come take their guns, but he didn't. That's a fact. So Biden's here to finish the job, I guess. <laughs> Biden's one-upping his mentor. Yeah. <laughs> now the student has become the master. Right. <laughs> so um, a little bit of tie-in here. Um, we were just talking about uh, fears, like how how afraid people are. Well, basically, anytime a Democrat gets elected, gun sales go up. Right. Um, and there's always the, the threat from the right that the left is going to take their guns away. Um, and it's, it's just, it's scaremongering. It's, it's, you know, the, the current democratic establishment isn't trying to like take guns away completely. And maybe some of the more, uh, like left wing members of, of Congress want to do that, but like Biden, no. Like we've we've talked about it before, he's he's basically a Republican, um, <laughs> yeah. so uh, <clears throat> anyway, to uh, to kind of tie this into the theme, what I want to talk about today, I'm going to start with a quote from Arthur Schopenhauer: "The man who is endowed with important personal qualities will be only too ready to see clearly in what respects his own nation falls short." since their failings will be constantly before his eyes. But every miserable fool who has nothing at all of which he can be proud adopts, as a last resource, pride in the nation to which he belongs. He is ready and glad to defend all its faults and follies tooth and nail, thus reimbursing himself for his own inferiority. Mm. So the reason I bring this up is because I want to talk about, you know, not, not to come back to this every time, but... Uh, white supremacy has been on my mind a lot recently for, you know, whatever reason. Yeah, see, let's get it off your chest. Let's get it off your chest. <laughs> yeah, n- you know, no, no way to, like, tie this into current events or anything. But, uh... <laughs> right. <laughs> so, it, it's been... It's becoming more and more apparent to me over the course of the years that white supremacy actually rests on a lot of... Uh, kind of inferiority complex that there are fears of white inadequacy uh, and 
you know, guilt for for past European actions. Like the right likes to talk about white guilt to explain away anything white people do that helps further like racial equality, things like that. Like, oh, that's just white guilt. Uh, but uh, I think we call that white splaining. Uh, I think white splaining. No, white splaining is kind of the opposite. It's like mansplaining is a man like condescendingly talking to a woman to explain something that she already knows. And oh, that's mansplaining. Yeah. Yeah. And, okay. and uh, maybe, maybe I just have the wrong understanding of the term, but like white splaining, um, I understand as being the same kind of dynamic, like white people yeah, talking down to black people yes. because they are more like aware or whatever. Um, but that's not what I'm talking about. Okay. Gotcha. Um, <clears throat> what I'm talking about is, uh, the use of the term white guilt to uh, kind of invalidate any attempts for uh, racial reconciliation or uh, racial equality, mm -hmm. things like that. Um, like those people are just feeling white guilt. We don't actually need to do any of this stuff. Um, and the way they use that term uh, suggests that white people don't have things to be guilty for. Uh, but yeah. we'll get to that. Yeah, it, it is an interesting title. Um, and if you think about it, like, well, th there's a there's a video I'll uh, I'll drop in the show notes yeah. that uh, that talks about, you know, national guilt, things like that. It's it's from a German uh, German YouTuber mm. that um, that the real the real guilt is in the need to kind of hide the history and and fictionalize you know, what we as a people have actually gone through and done. So that all is, is kind of what I want to talk about today. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> I don't know why, uh, why I'm struggling so much right now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I got the frog too, man. <clears throat> but so there are a lot of, um, a lot of kind of facets of the white supremacist agenda that, I, I that really kind of make you wonder what's behind them. Like also just what motivates someone to be a white supremacist in the first place. So there, there are a couple things that, that we can look at specifically like one, what scares white men the most black men specifically black, powerful men. And what, what are those men doing? They're uh, taking white women. Oh, is that a real fear like that? Oh, you didn't is know? That a, I didn't. I didn't know that was like a top priority fear. Oh, it's it's huge. I, like I, that's you, even in movies. Like yeah, I you know, almost I, I, never see a black man with a white woman in a movie unless that is what the entire movie is about. Right. Uh, you know, you you go back to like, look who's coming for dinner or whatever that movie <laughs> yeah, was Ashton called. Ashton Kutcher and uh, Bernie Mac was that the one? Oh no, that was the uh, the original. Oh. The, the one that actually had a reason to exist. Okay, I didn't see that one, to be honest with you. Um, I haven't seen it, but it's, <laughs> it's like a, it's a cultural touchstone. So I, mm. I know about it through osmosis, but it was, uh, I think Sidney Poitier was the, uh, the black man coming to dinner with a white family and all the, the tension that arose from that. Okay. So, like I said, that yeah. movie had a reason to exist. The oh, yeah. uh, Ashton Kutcher remake did not. <laughs> so um, now, so you look at that, like, the fear of black men taking white women. What is behind that? 
Um, maybe a fear of dilution of the race. Okay. Now, what else might that suggest about them? Does it suggest to you that they think there's a reason white women would prefer black men over them? Absolutely. There's a reason, obviously. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, like, black men, and and partly it's also um, in the way that um, the white supremacy is wrapped up intrinsically with, like, male supremacy, Mm. because... That's it suggests that white women don't have any agency like they right. are just helpless to the the whims of, you know, whatever, whatever. That's the patriarchy. The patriarchy is. Yeah, exactly. So so, so if, if a black man wants a white woman, the white woman is powerless to stop him. Right. So that that's that's another insidious dynamic to all this. It but, is. It's a dangerous one. Yeah, 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 it's it's very dangerous, but uh, but also again, just the the fear that there is a reason white women would prefer black men over them, like that, I think is a much bigger part of it than people than it than might occur to people. Okay, and that is very it's surprising to me. I didn't know it was that high level. You know, you see the jokes, and you know, there's people obviously people have died from bringing home a black man, but I didn't know that was still a a top priority. So I'm just, I'm, I'm a little shocked. I'm very interested. In I mean, I, I, I don't, uh, I don't like read the daily stormer or anything. So I don't know. <laughs> I used you to, know. it's pretty wild. <laughs> oh God. It's pretty wild. I'm not going to lie. Oh yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's lunacy over there, but, uh, hey, hey, it's an important, uh, platform to keep it on, keep an eye on. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. Like, well, I don't think it's a platform anymore. Uh, did they deplatform it? I, I think so. Like, I think they got kicked off their hosting. Oh God. That's a disservice. Um, yeah, cause I mean, yeah, it sucks that they exist, but we need to know where they are. To, exactly. <laughs> and I tell people that like, people are like, oh, that needs to be off. And, uh, you know, it's a heinous thing that doesn't represent America. Yeah, that is true. But the fact that the fact is that it's there. Well, also, is it true that it doesn't represent America? Right. It is as American as whatever you want to call it. Apple pie, baseball, French fries, <laughs> freedom fries, excuse me, freedom fries. But, um, <laughs> Yeah, like it's that's part of our DNA. So we that, love the hate here. <laughs> <laughs> that that is one facet of it. You can also look at sports, for example. Right. Like going back to <laughs> one of one of the first like big time professional sports, horse racing. Right. Um, originally, like when when horse racing was was starting to get really big in America, like all of the jockeys were black mm. and they were just killing it. And, um, before too long, they were, you know, pushed out yeah. in, in favor of white jockeys. Say, we ain't got no tiger woods of like horse racing <laughs> at all. <laughs> well, and speaking of tiger woods, like within, you know, his professional career, yeah. there were golf clubs that wouldn't, uh, admit black right. members That's a fact. and and w- wouldn't admit women which again like this is all interrelated it's all <laughs> intersectional <Interfection. Yep>. um, <laughs> and the same thing happens intersection with, dissection that's what we'll call it today <laughs> the same thing happened with baseball mm-hmm. uh you had you know obviously the negro the leagues, leagues that were right. separate from the uh the, the MLB, white leagues quote, quote. they didn't call them the white leagues because they didn't have to right because, um, you know, we didn't see color back then. But. What's that? Because they didn't see 
black people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If they could help it, they didn't see them at all. <laughs> they tried. <laughs> so, you know, black people, you know, Jackie Robinson is the big name oh, we think of when it comes to baseball. The same thing happened with football. I assume basketball. That's the the like big time American sport. I probably know the least about historically, but uh, but all of that happens. And when black people were admitted into these sports, exactly the thing they were afraid of happened that, that the black people were were succeeding, Dominance. which threatened the narrative that black people were inferior mm. to white people. And that that's that's key is that yeah. that throughout the course of the African slave trade and the uh, sustainment of African slavery in America, you know, it was it was rationalized by saying that these people were inferior, that um, subjectivity and um, like servitude were their natural disposition, yep. that they that we had a white man's burden, that that basically right. they couldn't be civilized. They couldn't be educated. So uh, service was the only thing that they could be. Uh, that they could do basically. And when you've got a system like that in place, then, you know, a black person, any black person succeeding at anything is a threat to that. And obviously if you have someone like a Frederick Douglass, Mm -hmm. uh, who is, you know, educated and eloquent and has, you know, some forceful views like that is also dangerous Absolutely. to keeping that whole system going. Absolutely. <clears throat> and it still goes down sadly to this day, um, which I'm sure that's what you get into. And I definitely have a mouthful to say on this as it's gone down. I, it, it, it gets passed down like a tradition. <laughs> yeah. Because, uh, and, and again, the, like the reason that I keep bringing us back mm-hmm. to white supremacy is that it's, it kind of explains everything. It explains a lot, definitely. Yeah, like it, you can make sense of America and its place in the world without understanding white supremacy, but it won't be true. Right. Like you you can't understand the reality of America without without at least beginning to understand how it it pervades like every aspect of our you know civil and political life Mm -hmm. so yeah that's uh it's gonna come up once or twice in the future just uh just so all our listeners know absolutely (laughs) i think it'll be a theme but uh go ahead go ahead actually i'm very uh very interested (laughs) it's uh it's it is pretty shocking when you think about just how much it pervades i mean when you think, when you do think about it, at the end of the day, and I, I'm sure we're gonna get to that. But you know, he that controls history. You know, I mean, you know how the saying goes. So I mean, when you have a dominant race that's obviously dominating the land, they get to control how people get to view their reality. Um, and you know, white supremacy has definitely done a good job. And I mean, it's I mean they're controlling the narrative. It's a very powerful thing to control the narrative. And, and white supremacy has done a very good job with that for the last 200 years. And I, I'm glad you said all that because that is a major pillar of what I wanted to talk about yeah. today. Because white supremacy 
rests on this elaborate false narrative mm-hmm. where basically no white person has ever done anything wrong mm-hmm. and nothing good was ever accomplished by any non-white person. Mm-hmm. So you go back through American history. Um, we have the the Native American genocide and the taking of their lands and just, you know, all of that mess. And you will hear people arguing that, you know, what happened to the Native Americans was totally justified because we were at war with them or, you know, and or that they were savages and we... Uh, had to defend ourselves mm-hmm. and or that, you know, e- even you could even take the view that because, you know, America is this shining beacon of freedom and opportunity today that um, even as horrible as all that was, it was still justified in getting to us to where we are. But even that last view is not something that you really uh, are going to hear because that involves admitting wrongdoing. Mm-hmm. And that's that <laughs> the narrative does not allow that. So, uh, right. so that was the Native Americans. Yep. Then you've also got slavery, which, um, you know, which people will say anything from it was, you know, a necessary evil to it was a beneficial relationship for the slaves. Like they were better off in slavery than they were back home in Africa. Yeah. Like that, that is an argument that people make. That's ridiculous. I mean, and if you want to compare certain standards to the lowest standards in Africa and come into a, a slave house, like that's just a ridiculous comparison, but well, and even, even giving that argument some credence you you have to look at africa without colonialism exactly because like (laughs) yeah there there are a lot of things you could say about the state of africa today (laughs) but how many of those are the direct result of what white people did in africa and that i think delves into what we were just talking about just a second ago which is there's a narrative created about africa and, and about you know these asshole countries uh, quote unquote. Yeah. And Africa, the things that I see, Africa is popping. It, it looks amazing. That is a gorgeous, gorgeous continent. <laughs> just well, so not much. just that, but um, Nigeria, I think, has the like the most educated population in the hands world. Down. Hands down. I, you know, man, you gave me goosebumps. Like, I don't hear that a lot from white people. Seriously, it that is. Oh, God, I'm getting goosebumps hearing that. That is something that is not spoken about. Nigerians score the highest on so many metrics and they don't get that respect. It usually goes to Asians. I'm I'm not loping. I'm trying not to lump everybody in. I'm just speaking really fast, but you know, it's typically, you know, the Asians or Jews or, or white people. And then Nigerians might sprinkle in there somewhere, or you see some stats that they have to, it feels like the, the media has to address and be like, yes, Nigerians, you know, they were the top of the chair. But, you know. <laughs> yeah, and I, I don't I don't know, like, what a Nigerian education is worth in terms of, like, the quality of it, but they do have. They outperform here. 
Yeah, that, I, I believe it. Yeah. I'm, I'm just saying, like that's that's not something that I that yeah. I can speak to. I, I see what you're saying. Just like, like how, uh, how you, you know China specifically, right. they pump out a lot of like engineers, yes. but their education is garbage. Yeah, they um, they have an interesting um, tiered approach. To their education similar to Germany, if I remember right. Um, you kind of get put on a track. Yeah, very much. Yeah. And so, uh, no, definitely in Germany. Um, I studied German when I was in middle school. Uh, hey, Miss Rude. Uh, <laughs> Frau Rude, excuse me. Frau Rude. My apologies. Um, uh, I love that lady. <laughs> she was so cool after class. But anyways, um, they definitely have a track system. Like, you, if you perform very well in certain metrics, you are definitely going to be um, tested and put into, you know, things that are more uh, essential to the state. Yeah. And so, uh, China, obviously China right now, I think they score like number one or number two in terms of like they're the top universities in the world. Now it's like number one, number two, it's really high. Um, I think it's Shanghai university or China university or something like that. But, um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're performing quite well. And, but like you said too, though, um, the education system in general is not. Well, yeah, my, my understanding, uh, and this is, you know, from like 10 years ago when I was, when I was studying China, um, is that the actual quality of the education was fairly poor. Mm. So, uh, maybe that's changed since then. And, or maybe I was just wrong in the first place. I I don't think you are. Um, sorry to interrupt. I I don't think you are. I just, I think what's happening now is I'm sure, you know, they, they've had a couple great leaps, (laughs) Um, I think they've had probably two or three. We sh- probably shouldn't use that term for it, though. Okay, I, I'm sorry. That's I thought that was the term that was used in the book. That was was in history. No, it's. I, um, I'm so sorry. Do, do you know anything about the Great Leap Forward? That's what I understood in social studies. Okay, that's the, how they literally labeled it. I apologize. Um, I well, <laughs> how they labeled what happened recently? No. Okay, good. Because the Great Leap Forward was a uh, a complete disaster. Um, oh. Yeah, it's. Oh, uh, excuse me. Go ahead. The, the Great Leap Forward is fascinating, uh, and the, we're we're totally, going. You're totally going in. Yeah, yeah we're going we're <laughs> going pretty far afield, but this is this is something I enjoy talking about because uh, it's 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 exactly the kind of thing that like right wingers point to yep. as why we shouldn't let the government make decisions. Yep, exactly. Um, because there were they were. You know, just like the Soviet Union Union at the time, they they kind of fell in for uh, pseudoscience yep. because th- uh, something that that doesn't really get talked about a lot, I think, is how like what we call communist countries, um, for the most part, they were just like anti-colonialist. They wanted self-determination. And basically, the Soviet Union was the only alternative to the Euro-American system. So if they wanted to be independent of, you know, us and Europe, they had to align themselves with the Soviet Union and and call themselves communists. But they were like, maybe the Soviet Union was the only actual communist revolution. China, Vietnam, you know, you look at all these other countries and they were just nationalist movements who, you know, were trying to throw off the yoke of imperialism. So I don't remember why I was talking about that, but, um, so the great leap forward, uh, they put in, they put out some, uh, some like proclamations, some guidance, uh, and there was the, uh, four great pests, um, movement, uh, program, whatever, whatever you want to call it, where they were trying to eliminate 
um, sparrows, beetles, cicadas. I, I'm I'm a little foggy on, on what exactly they were, but you know the things that were threatening uh, produce and crop yields in China. And you know sparrows ate seeds. So if sparrows are eating your seeds, then that's that's threatening your yeah, crop starving. yields yeah. and production will fall and there will be less food. Um, what they uh, didn't account for is that sparrows do eat seeds. But do you know what else they eat? Locusts. Oh, yeah. So they were very successful at, uh, you know, reducing the number of sparrows in their countrysides, but that led to a huge explosion of locusts, right. which are that. far more destructive to crops. It's problematic. Yeah. yeah. And uh, they were also having that problem. <laughs> and the Great Leap Forward, you know, like all late industrializing countries, uh, put a huge emphasis on industrialization yep. and they had to do it, you know, faster, obviously, than the West did mm -hmm. because they were trying to catch up to us. So what that resulted in the Great Leap Forward, they were having farmers um, like smelt iron on their farms in these little ramshackle furnaces. Oh, wow. uh, so they they weren't producing very much and it was very low quality iron. And that also meant that they were doing less farming. So, yeah, lots and lots and lots of people died during the Great Leap Forward. That is so fascinating. It's <laughs> Fascinating is the word that is just mind blowing. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's a socialist experiment gone wrong, essentially, or a communist experiment gone wrong. Um, that depends on how you define communist. You know, what was it communistic, or was it you know state capitalism, or you know central planning? You know, to to say that it was a failure of communism, you have to accept the premise that it was a communist thing to do, which is. I think questionable. I, yeah, I you think know, it is questionable. It, again, like I said, it, it gets uh, trotted out as a failure of communism or socialism. Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't think there was anything particularly communistic about it. it. It's just, you know, because Mao called himself a communist, because they the Communist Party took control of China, right. you know, any anything they do, just like we're seeing with, uh, with Venezuela, like... <laughs> Is Venezuela's current state the result of socialism failing? Yeah. It's not. Exactly. Definitely not. Um, I know that's not a popular saying at all. And again, like you can point out that Venezuela is a, quote, socialist country. Yeah. But that like the the policies and programs that drove Venezuela into the ground there was nothing inherently socialistic or communist about them. And it wasn't their fault. Well, I, I mean, some of it was. So, like, okay. I should um, say, yeah, most of it wasn't their fault. Uh, Chavez. Uh, that was, yeah. that was the guy. Um, uh, he like, he had to work pretty hard to screw up Venezuela yeah. because they were in pretty great shape before. But, um, but yeah, like he didn't, he didn't bankrupt the country with socialism. No, no, he did not. So uh, he was he was kind of screwed. Um, the thing was George Bush at the time. Uh, George Bush and the United States uh, definitely had a policy for Venezuela and Cuba and the axis of evil. Yeah. You know, and so um, they were definitely a target uh, of economic uh, economic pain 
uh, that still lasted to this day. And there's a reason why their currency has devalued by thousands of percent. Um, you know, the, was it the Bolivar? I think that's what yeah. it is. Uh, the Bolivar is completely worthless. So you, there was pictures all over Twitter where these people were literally throwing it in the streets. They were literally throwing their money in the streets because it is that worthless, which was kind of terrifying to see because growing up as Joe's witness, it, they literally talked about people throwing their money in the streets because it wasn't going to save them. <laughs> so Interesting. It is fascinating. Not, that, was, that was terrifying. I was like, oh my God, I'm not <laughs> I might need to go get baptized story. or something. <laughs> but um, that was a total digression as well. But um, it just... With what was happening there as well, which is terrifying, is that, you know, you have a coordinated attack on people because there are there's a policy or a way of thinking that doesn't want to be seen succeeding. And if it's shown to succeed, then it would totally. It was screw capitalism. It's what uh, Noam Chomsky calls the threat of a good example. <laughs> God. And, and He's that, a linguist. It, it, that is so succinct. <laughs> and that actually brings us perfectly back to uh, yes. the topic, because yes. that is what white people are so afraid of, is the threat of black people succeeding and showing, A, not just that they're they're wrong to have been keeping them down for so long, but maybe white people aren't actually so great. You know, maybe they don't really deserve the... Uh, the privileged place they hold in the current world order. You know, I'm going to sit back and tell me more. Keep on talking <laughs> about it. Um, oh, man. Hey, hey, you was talking. Well, so white, you were saying that the uh, white race essentially believes that they can't do anything wrong. And so they pervade that. Pervades. Not, not that they can't do anything wrong, uh, but they that they, well, yeah, basically that, um, that anything that they have done wrong was justified and, or just never happened. You know, the, you, you see it also with like Holocaust denial yeah. because crazy. if the Holocaust happened, excuse me, wrong word. That is wild. <laughs> Cause if the Holocaust happened, then that kind of makes the Germans look bad. Doesn't it? That they, that they killed all those people. Um, Whereas if it didn't happen, then it's just another example of the Jews, right. you know, trying to manipulate us. Yeah. And th that's that's another interesting facet of it is if you look at Nazi Germany, the there's an inherent contradiction in the idea that Germans are the master race and Jews are inferior. And yet somehow Jews have all the power right. and are subjugating the superior Germans. Yeah. Like how how does that dynamic work out exactly? How do you reconcile that in your head? Yeah, that's what happens with so many minorities. You know, black people, same thing. And you know, they did that with Asians for a while. The Asian, you know, different Asian groups. Like, you know, every group is just this massive, massive threat. <laughs> yeah, like the the uh, the invasion of all the. Uh, the South and Central Americans who are, you know, seeking asylum from, you know, crumbling and despotic countries. Right. Um, but but that actually is a huge part of, you know, this is something Echo talks about in or fascism. Mm -hmm. It's um, it's a big part of what you see on the contemporary right is just the centrality of victimhood mm. because. You know, the Germans, the Italians, all of these, all of these different like fascist countries um, were 
you know, they were victims. You know, Germans had land taken away from them uh, because of wars. They were uh, they were paying these, um, you know, war reparations from World War One. They um, uh, da, 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 da. they were also being like they were stabbed in the back by Jews. Uh, which is the only reason they lost World War One, because obviously the generals weren't just making bad decisions and the politicians, you know, um, not Bismarck, uh, Kaiser Wilhelm uh, wasn't just an inept leader and the generals didn't screw up. It had to have been because the Jews like betrayed them by having labor strikes and um, just providing aid and comfort to the enemy, just all of these things. Yeah. And, um, and there was actually a, uh, a census of Jews in the, in the German military in the 1920s, I think. Um, and they were trying to prove that stab in the back myth. They were trying to prove that, um, the Jews were like insufficiently loyal to the state. But what they found out is that, uh, as a proportion of the population, Jews were massively overrepresented in the military, partly because, you know, not just partly, like primarily, I think, because they were trying to be accepted in the society that was rejecting them. And that, and military service was one way to do that. So, one of the best ways. Yeah. <laughs> So obviously the military just buried that report. I mean, they did that with black people in America too. Like, like you didn't even know black people fought in wars until it, what the sixties or <laughs> yeah, exactly. You go back to like the Buffalo Soldiers right, exactly. or um, you know Tuskegee is a a slightly different situation, different, yeah. but it's still uh, something that isn't widely known enough because surprising as hell too because it would take some real mental gymnastics to to learn about the uh the tuskegee experiments yeah. and not think you know that was kind of a shitty thing to do yeah not to say that people don't do that but um but again like absolutely if you if you uh accept any of the awful things that white people have done basically if you accept that they have merit that they actually did happen that they were as like unjustified and you know unconscionable as they obviously were then you that ch challenges your ability to still think that they deserve to be at the top and we're seeing that a lot today is that you know people are essentially just outraged that straight white men no longer have literally all of the money and power yeah. you know any any assault any advancement of another group threatens them because i i don't remember who said this but when you're accustomed to privilege equality feels like oppression yes i yes yes <laughs> and that is that's terrifying for people that have that's terrifying for people that don't have you know anything or any kind of power and people that have all that feel that way that is terrifying yeah and that's that's exactly why there is such a backlash against black lives matter right. and you know Colin Kaepernick and all of these things like if we acknowledge that there is something wrong with 
the the situation that black people in America are in, then there becomes a responsibility to, at the very least, like examine why that is. Mm-hmm. You know, what is it that's wrong? And do I have anything to do with it? And that's something that uh, that a lot of white people just are not willing to do. And that's again why why you why you hear like well I'm not racist right. because they would be culpable if they acknowledged that any of this stuff was real. Yes, it's interesting. Um, I'm gonna divert just a little bit. I, you're on a roll. I apologize. Um, it's interesting that because I had this weird conversation at work um, and. You know, we sh- we shouldn't be talking about this stuff at work, but you know, we have the we have a lot of uh, the Asian violence that's going on, a lot of Asian hate uh, that's in the media, and so I I work with a lot of Asian people, a lot of different minorities, um, and you know that that does come up. It came up a bit, and you know, I for me, you know, people that know me personally, they know I I have a whole bunch of different friends. <laughs> There's no question, like my friendship. Representation is like the United Nations, and it's not something to brag about. I, I hate it when people do that crap. But people that don't know me, you can look through my Facebook, Instagram. You can see there's so much different people. Anyways, so it's interesting when people come to me and are like, you know, what's going on? Like, you know, <laughs> why are black people always attacking these, you know, Asian people and stuff? And for me, it's like, well, I, I didn't do that. But it's interesting because you know, same thing is happening to white people. White people, you know, the being confronted with, you know, slavery issues and things like that. And it's like, well, do we have any kind of culpability or any kind of accountability for things that our race does to other groups? Well, and that, that gets into a more complicated um, discussion because there's a difference between culpability and responsibility. Mm. So mm-hmm. like acknowledging that white people have, um, have you know systematically oppressed non-white and even you know people that are now considered white people throughout our entire history you can acknowledge that and that means that you as a white person so obviously not you specifically but um i sound like it once in a while (laughs) that you as an individual white person have a responsibility to act to you know undo the harm in any way that you can to improve the improve you know relations between white people and other other groups and to to work for justice and equality but that responsibility doesn't mean that you are to blame for the things that happened in the past. That's a very important distinction. Mm. And it's because of, it's because of a desire to avoid blame that people also reject the responsibility. I know. I know. We just trying to get it out. <laughs> so, That's what this is. And, and, and It's litigious. It's, it's about money. People don't want to be on the hook. Well, I mean, I'm not saying that isn't true. It definitely is. But um, there's also um, like part of the the conversation about like reparations or affirmative action, um, things like that. You know, it is understandable that 
white people living today would feel like that is unfair against them. Um, that it is, like I said, it's understandable that they would feel that, but that ignores, you know, the history and the, the echoes of the history that we see today. Um, so that, that is part of it. And going to that question of responsibility or culpability, um, I don't remember which word you used, but, um, you, you see the argument occasionally that, uh, like white people deserve credit for ending slavery, you know, freeing the (laughs) slaves. And there are several things wrong with that. One is that some white people, you know, fought to end slavery and they deserve credit for that. Absolutely. And some white people fought to uphold slavery and they do not deserve any credit for ending it. Um, But the construction of that argument um, is fundamentally racist because exactly like Schopenhauer was saying, you know, they are trying to um, to ascribe to themselves positive things that white people have done without accepting the negative things, Mm -hmm. you know, because people because some white people in the past ended slavery which you know and again the idea especially that america deserves credit for ending slavery when we were like the last uh country to do it and we had to fight and we had to fight a a horrible civil war to do that and we never entirely stopped fighting that war we never stopped slavery i think we just ended it last year didn't we where it was off the books of like south carolina or mississippi or something like that I know they got rid of their flag just recently, like they're. Oh, like like they they never officially ratified it. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, it was unbelievable. It was like last year, yeah. As soon as like you know, Corona came through, you know, Corona just like suspended the rules of everything. So there's this whole like shifting of the social order, but it was a convenient time to. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, let's get rid of that now that uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. So so that is. You know, that is what that argument is. It's it's we deserve credit for something that I'll let it that out. Don't worry about it. Um, That we as white people deserve credit for no no longer doing a horrible thing that a lot of us were doing and would still be doing today if we had the the option. Um, But at the same time, we also don't deserve the blame for the fact that it went on so long, was as brutal as it was, is still such a a problem in our country. Yeah. So that is, you know, again, that is just a racist way of thinking to, um, especially for people who, you know, the the people who make that argument, a lot of them uh, probably wouldn't be upset if slavery came back. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Free labor? <laughs> I mean, exactly think of the economy think of the economic benefits um such. although it's um i mean that is a a more complex argument because that would like if slavery if we had slavery again even if we got rid of the racial element to it like if slavery existed in the united states then that would be a whole bunch of jobs that you know free americans aren't getting yeah so it's it's you know again that's and that that's what was so um 
<laughs> I'm not going to say that was the one thing that was problematic about American slavery, but um, just the fact that it was racial right. in nature, like in other in history throughout history, other states, kingdoms, whatever, have taken slaves. But it was like if you re- went into debt or if you were captured in battle right. or, you know, those were the people who were slaves and they could have been anybody. Yeah. But uh, but the fact that that slavery in America and Europe was was solely racial in nature. And because all slaves were black people, that basically that effectively meant that all black people were slaves. So, yeah, yeah, that uh, so even if you got rid of that element, there would slavery would still be a bad thing. I just want to throw that out there. Right. I want to plant my stake in the ground on that. No slavery. No slavery. I mean, we still have that kind of going on. I know we touched on it, I think, on our first or second episode. But, you know, there's this abundance that America has taken advantage of when it comes to, like, human capital. We've taken advantage of human capital from so many different continents. Not just countries. Continents. (laughs) And it's cheap labor, you know, from China. Slavery. I would call that slavery what I'm seeing. Stuff that's happening here with uh, we have people immigrating from different countries, from Africa, from you know, South America, from Central America. These guys are coming here and in the worst of conditions are performing work that most of us wouldn't perform. And what kind of wages are they getting? I would call a lot of these things slavery as far as I'm concerned. It looks just like it. It's just we are so far removed as like Americans, we're so far removed from our uh, products. And so we don't understand where our stuff comes from, how it's made, how the sausage is made. And it comes from slave labor. It's not okay. It's not okay. Yeah. And even if like certain parts of it, um, like even if we agree that the things you're talking about don't rise to the level of slavery, there is still, exploitation okay all right yeah because i I mean obviously i I, I like using the nasty word i like using that nasty word for it man because like give them some benefits give these people some benefits man give them the pay that they deserve if they're coming they come in here under the worst conditions why would somebody want to come here no there's no american that would work under those conditions where you're not entitled to any tax tax benefits you're not you're not uh I mean, you're scared every day of getting deported. Like, who wants to work under that? They come here under that kind of duress, and we have an, we have employers here that are supporting that. We have lobbyists that literally support that. Yeah, it's not okay. It's I, not- I don't. I, I I don't see too much different from slavery. Like, you know, there's some horrific stories that you can read that detail how they're treated, how these migrants are treated. And yeah, it, sound, it and, sounds slavish. And, just I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I want to be super clear that I'm not uh, I'm not arguing that point. Okay. Um, okay. Just like semantically that uh, again, like. I, I think it is um, like inaccurate to call it slavery in the literal sense, but that is not a defense of it. OK, you know, it is um, it's definitely exploitative and. It is it is wrong, but uh, like if they are getting paid and are not like literally being confined 
Like they, they are not literal property of the of the people they work for. Generally, I mean, obviously, there's like oh, okay. there's there's trafficking that. Right. Uh, so you saw my side stare, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. you know, uh, again, it, we we keep yeah. coming back to yeah, know, like u- using language and uh, it, it really is about language and rectification of names. You know, making sure we're calling things by the right uh, yeah. by the right name. Like it is, it is politically powerful to call it slavery it is not technically accurate but but again that's not a defense of it yeah it's kind of like defund the police right defend the police it's a powerful political statement not entirely accurate of the description of the movement but well it definitely gets the attention well hold on (laughs) why is it not accurate um because people aren't i mean people are definitely calling for funds to be removed from the police but they want those funds to be redistributed differently Still yeah. using policing. They just want the, the function of police. Well, yeah, because defund the police is not dismantle the police. That And a lot of people are taking it that way. I, I know they are because, again, there's that the white supremacy. <laughs> we can keep on going. It, it does. It, it The whole thing just keeps on circling right around it, like you're saying. Yeah, exactly, because we need the police to protect us from black people. Yes. So if so we dangerous. defund the police, then who knows what they'll do? They might, uh, they might start voting or... You know, no, not being in jail all the time. Exactly. So, <laughs> Actually being, so yeah, you know, getting I mean, our education. <laughs> there is nothing Fathers, inaccurate. Fathers, you know, being at home, you know, with their children. There, there's nothing <laughs> inaccurate about uh, defund the police as a slogan, because, I mean, if you are allocating resources to different services than the police, you are necessarily defunding the police because if the police have fewer uh, responsibilities, if they have narrower jurisdiction, if they're not being called as often, uh, then we don't need to fund them on the same level that we are now. So, yeah. Yeah, we can go. We, I think this is definitely another discussion. We can definitely go back and forth on this. Um, yeah, I think, well, because I don't think we're, we're, we're not, we're having less police per se in terms of like the traditional function of the police. But a lot of these got a lot of these police officers, if they're, some of their jobs are being cut. I don't know where they're going, but Stormfront, uh, more than likely, uh, as you saw, you know, Seattle actually have the most representation at the one six. I don't know if you saw that. Um, it's not. I I would have thought Portland, but uh, but yeah, the West Coast is. Uh, people need to look up on the West Coast. West Coast is not as uh, friendly and as well, you think it is. Uh, <laughs> something that uh, not, I'm not. I'm not. You know, I'm not gonna cast everything on the police like that but there's definitely some patterns yeah (laughs) well and and, uh, a point that gets made is when people talk about like bad apples on the police force what is that expression i hate that crap um so the expression i guess is supposed to be that uh, a rotten apple will contaminate and rot other apples yeah, exactly. Like one bad apple spoils the bunch. Yes. So when you when you look at someone like Derek Chauvin and say that he was a bad apple, mm-hmm. you know, you he was on the police force for oh, almost 20 years exactly. and had a complaint of excessive force almost the, the like time. every year. Yeah, the entire Yeah, time. like 18 complaints in 19 years. It's unreal. And he was still on the police force and was still, you know, there to uh to put his knee on George Floyd's neck for almost 10 minutes, minutes. nine minutes and what? Yeah. Like 28 seconds, something like that. Yeah. Unbelievable. So yeah, the, the whole like bad apple narrative is, uh, just bad. Yeah. It's, it's, it spoils the conversation. 
<laughs> it really does. Yeah, it is a bad apple in the conversation. Because I mean, you're starting it from the wrong way, and that's the power that you know these police unions have. They have these relationships with the media, our media outlets, King Five News, Como Four. You know, I can start naming off all of them. They do have relationships with these guys, and they craft the narratives early. Well, and more importantly, they have you know the relationship with the the municipalities yep. and the the counties and and just the governments that exactly. that give them the power that they have and the lack of uh, accountability yeah. that they have. Yeah, it gives them it's the power structure absolutely, and it goes back to white supremacy. So even without you know, even if your entire police force didn't have even if there was not a single person on the police force that was like an avowed white supremacist there are still all of these structural forces that you know encourage or at the very least abide the kinds of abuses that that they partake in oh 100 um you know if you start deconstructing what how the police like what makes them move i you start seeing the mechanisms and I mean, they obviously there's that old adage or saying where, you know, they they go by the book and that book I've looked. It is not easy to find. It is not easy to find for a reason, because if a lot of people had that book, they would know how to hold police accountable. There are certain things that they cannot do. And the fact that it's that hard, I think in itself is disturbing, but. It also it goes back to what you're talking about with the municipalities. It's the blessing of the municipalities because they have to bless that contract. These contract negotiations go between the police unions and the cities. And once the city councils or however, if they have a strong mayor, weak mayor system, then, you know, it gets, gets it goes through. And typically these things go through without a lot of attention. These are the things that govern our lives. Yeah. <laughs> this is the crap that governs our lives. And we need to have the most interest in it. And. So I think uh, Tacoma's was just uh, negotiated not that long ago. I had to look, but um, it kind of went with a whisper um, because we're unfortunately, you know, we're dealing with a lot of other issues, but um, it's the structure right there. And we, we have a black mayor here, um, nothing against her or anything like that at all. Um, but, you know, it's, no, it's, uh, it's interesting. <laughs> it's interesting and I think we need to have much more attention on these contract negotiations what police are accountable to how they police us because we need to determine as the people they get our blessing that's how it's supposed to work they're supposed to get our blessing and how our society is supposed to be policed and that's not happening yeah so um, we'll see over the next couple of years I think but that I think uh, that's the slow dismantling of White supremacy is one. It literally is the backstop of back of white supremacy. You have to go out to the police, what governs their actions, what is justified, and how to how to deconstruct that and make it appropriate for our society these days. Yeah, because the police are, you know, the enforcement wing yes. of white supremacy, basically. I there are there like we talked about, I think last week, there's pillars. There's pillars to this. Yeah. Yeah, there are levels. And that is one of the most important. You need to have some kind of backstop when people don't want to listen to you. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, you die. Or you go to jail. Or some other kind of deterrent. Yeah, and, and you know, we can go back to the very beginning of this conversation uh, about what scares white people the most. 
um, is, you know, even if you set aside the black men taking white women, there is just a lot of fundamental fear about black men, period. And, you know, obviously uh, the media helps shape that narrative. um, And that that fear of, you know, of black men being an inherent threat to white people and again, without examining any of the reasons that that might be, um, it is a big part of what drives like policing um, patterns and the whole like Karen epidemic of white women uh, calling the police on black men just as a flex, basically, because that is that is like the narrow way that they are able to exert power. And it it like it's not. In a legal sense, but it really should be thought of as attempted murder. I definitely agree. Um, I definitely agree. I have a lot to say on that. And that's, uh, you know, Mm. I I struggle with it a little bit because I feel like it can't be the case that it's never okay to call the police on a black man. But uh, it should definitely be, you know, you need to be aware of that. You need to be aware of the dynamic of you know the the pattern of police violence against black men and you know the disproportionate sentencing and just all of these things like that needs to be a part of your kind of baseline operating as you're as you're functioning in society like you need to have that in your mind before you decide to you know yeah and again like it, it it's there are situations where it's it's understandable that a that a white person would feel the need to to do that because like I'm not saying that like a white person is never justified in feeling threatened by a black man or you know obviously sometimes white people are legitimately victimized by black people mm-hmm. uh that's not what I'm saying like I'm not excusing any bad thing any black person has ever done. Mm. Um, but there are, you know, there are power dynamics. There are, you know, historical repercussions of our entire system that, that, you know, people need to be aware of. And that, that again, like I am not culpable for police violence against black people, but I am responsible for trying to stop it. I'm responsible for, you know, working for for justice and equality yeah you know i think that that is such an important way to frame it um because you know in the media the media doesn't frame it that way you know it's framed as like you know and you know black obviously black people that are affected aren't going to feel that way whenever we see white people you know (laughs) you know but the way it should be framed is the way that i feel like you said it it's that like white people aren't necessarily responsible these days but or culpable but there's definitely responsibility if especially if you have the power um right now there's something that you see that is wrong and you have the power to change that now there i mean i i can't see too many reasons but this is just coming from a black person's perspective (laughs) (laughs) too too many reasons for what to uh continue to support what's continue what's going on um and and like i said before it's it, it is just getting so hard to continue denying that yeah. it's happening yeah. 
Like there, there is so much evidence in front of our faces mm-hmm. all the time these days yep. that, you know, when Rodney King happened, that was, you know, that was like, that's just a thing that happened. Yeah. You know, and black men just get beat like yeah. that every time. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and that's what I'm getting at is right. that, that that is how uh, kind of white society saw it is like, wow, that was really bad. And they don't. Um, and they, they didn't gain an awareness that, yeah, that is something that happens a lot. Yeah. Um, so when we're seeing George Floyd, Philando Castile, Trayvon Martin, Breonna Taylor, you know, all of these people, um, you know, it, it looks like a pattern now because we're seeing the pattern. The pattern was always there. Yeah. And I don't know how much. I don't know how long it takes to see patterns, but I I think you know, we have an ample amount of evidence to, to determine that there's something going on. And yeah, it's, I, I don't know what else people can stand on when it comes to that argument. Like now you're just trying, like we shouldn't try that hard to say that something like that horrific is not happening. Well, and, and again, be because stopped. If they acknowledge that it's happening, what implications does that have for the way they live their lives? If they acknowledge that it's happening, they become responsible for stopping it. And it also, again, calls into question their their privilege in society that, you know, that doesn't happen to white people, except like in very, very rare circumstances. And they you know they rely on the police essentially to you know to maintain order, order yes um that benefits them and they they can convince themselves that it benefits black people too you know they they can easily convince themselves that order is a benefit to society as a whole if they don't think about what order actually means. Right. Yeah. And a lot of people pass a lot of terms over their heads and just water shedding over like a duck. It's just, Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. Black people also qualify, but you know, yeah. we, we also have like most of the wealth. So good luck. <laughs> um, and when you look at it from their perspective, when you look at it from a white person's perspective, perspective as well, like you were saying, that abundance, there's a rebalancing of the abundance. So, like, if you had $100,000 and black people had none, and now you have seventy five, and black people have 25, you know, that, you know, oh, They stole that money. They stole that me. money. What's going on? Like, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Because, so. because, again, that's that gets back to, um, is all of the white wealth and power deserved is it merited like that that's something that we that americans uh tell ourselves all the time is that like we're a meritocracy Mm -hmm. you can succeed if you have the initiative and and you know and like we've kind of talked about before that that ignores the opportunity aspect of it is that you know if you are if you're black and you're born in a poor neighborhood that also means that your schools don't get much money because schools are funded by property taxes. Yep. And if, you know, discriminatory housing policies keeps <laughs> housing values low, yep. then, you know, 
so so what oh go ahead i was just gonna say that there it gets even more i just like to dive in some on some points just to show how like malicious and and uh, cute some of these policies are i was reading this book called uh i think it was called dream hoarders yeah it's called dream hoarders i don't know if you've heard of it no who's it by uh i'm trying to remember the guy's name uh i have it on my phone but uh he it was phenomenal the way that he fleshed out like what it kind of takes to have the American dream. And it then he was talking about the systems that are in place for why certain people have that wealth. And I mean, it gets down to even like, we have cities that incorporate within cities, like in Tacoma, we have, uh, we have a university place and Tacoma. And then we have Ruston and Tacoma. There's these very wealthy areas in our city that have, um, what's the word? I'm trying to remember the term where they um, break off from the city itself. And that tax revenue is used to insulate themselves. And they do the same thing with school districts, certain school districts. Uh, they have uh, zoning policies that enable them to be able to generate that revenue. And so if you're outside of that area, you're not benefiting from that. And so there's a whole bunch of different policies in place. Even when you are living in that area, if you are not living in the area, <laughs> you are not going to benefit from the better schools that are in your own city. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. How malicious it is. And so like that book was fascinating. I, I read it like two years ago. I'll, I'll get you the title probably before the podcast is over, but I just couldn't believe the levels, the systems that to, to shift the money. Yeah. None of this is an accident. You know, it's all, uh... <laughs> no, it cannot be an accident. That is very, very, uh, systematic. Yeah. Like the, this, this kind of thing doesn't just happen. It's, it's something that, uh, it, it's, it's been the program all along. Yeah. So, you know, just back to what you were saying, you know, there's even down to like our school districts, you can have money being dumped into a school district, which happens a lot. And waiting for Superman highlights that um, it's a documentary. Um, it talks about Jeffrey Canada um, and uh, Michelle Ree you know, is in Washington, D.C. And it was a um, they were trying to privatize education. And it it showed that even dumping money in these school districts all over the country, like it doesn't do anything. Like you're just dumping money when it needs to be targeted differently. It needs to be used differently. So I'm not, uh, I'm not exactly supporting, you know, private charter education versus, you know, public education. It, there's just, there's different approaches that need to be taken. And when you're dumping money into an area, it doesn't mean that people that are there are benefiting at all. And we can see that case time and time again. in a lot of these inner, or these inner cities that get tons of money, tons of funding, but for some reason, their education, their, uh, their standards are, they're uh, they're lower than their counterparts throughout, you know, their districts or their their cities. It's it's something's wrong. It's not the money. <laughs> and, and something that a lot of uh, modern day um, apologists for the you know the the system of white supremacy that we have um, talk about um, individual choices. Like that's the reason black people aren't succeeding is that so many, you know, young black kids are like dealing drugs and picking up guns and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, give me a second to remember what my point was, uh, that, that same sort of individuality that, um, that individual focus isn't applied across the board because, we go back to the kind of zero sum nature of, of like wealth and power right. is that if, if you think that 
you know, black people succeeding means that white people succeed less, then that is, you know, again, that's viewing it on a racial basis instead of like, does a black person succeeding mean that I succeed less? Does a black person having power mean that I don't have power? And so that's that's where the the whole individual argument breaks down. Yeah. Is that it's only being applied to explain why black people aren't succeeding in a way that doesn't require you to do anything about it. Right. I think that was very well said. Thank you. Um, Very well said. I was going to pop in and say Richard Reeves. Richard, what, Richard Reeves. It? He was the one that wrote uh, Mer- uh, Dream Hoarders. Victor Freeze? Uh, Richard Reeves. Richard Reeves. Okay. Yes. Um, it was a phenomenal book. Um, yeah. But yeah, you, you said that very well. I yeah, I don't have anything else to say on that, to be honest with you. I should have just dropped the mic. I should have let, let you drop that mic, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I have spoiled <laughs> part of this. We'll probably edit it out. But <laughs> Oh, I'm not editing anything. Oh, did uh, <laughs> <laughs> Never mind what I said earlier about editing out that noise. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's there's just so many systems and layers, and when you start like it, it almost, I mean, it almost seems unreal to the levels that you know there's this that there are things in place, there are antecedents, there are uh, just all these these rules that are there that if you read that they are subject subjugating is the right word they are taking a segment of society and i mean essentially like is it bastardizing i maybe that's the word is bastardizing the right word i i I, I, I haven't caught up to what your point is yet well i'm trying to say like they they've taken a portion of society and essentially like they tried to shuffle them off to the side and say okay they've been kind of taken care of they have all these things. There's no excuse for why they shouldn't be able to. Yeah. And that's just not the case. And you start digging in and you start seeing all the rules that are in place to, yeah, they have the money, but like, here's all these red tape rules that. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, you and have to again, jump through. It, it, it all comes back to that fear and insecurity that that ultimately is what needs to be defeated in order for us to get anywhere is that, that, you know, white people as a group and obviously individuals within that group, um, need to stop thinking of equality as a threat. They need to stop thinking that they are entitled to the position that they hold and that anyone gaining an opportunity means that they have less mm. you know we, we need to break that that binary binary thinking yeah um i and i see where they're i see where white people especially the ones that have been on top uh, regardless of what color you are if, when you're on top of something when you see other people coming up like it's, it's a threat regardless um i can see i can see where they're coming from you know those resources that are not coming to you not as much and there's a way of life that you had or that you have and now that's definitely under threat i i can see where they're coming from um back to one of the points that you had made though um and i wanted to i guess dive in a little bit more if you don't mind was like 
with uh, generational wealth, I would certainly say that that's a huge factor in terms of like success for um, whoever benefits from that. You know, if you are benefiting from generational wealth, there's things that you don't have to worry about. Yeah. Um, you know, and I'll- obviously there there are like degrees of generational wealth, but you know, I. Um, I had a, a fairly like modest middle class upbringing, mm-hmm. um, but even though like I still I still had to work to get by, and you know I didn't go to prestigious private schools or anything like that. There are still like privileges that I enjoy because of just you know who and what I am that I that I didn't earn, and so right. you know you could argue that the solution is not to um to enable black people to accumulate generational wealth but to eliminate generational wealth entirely <laughs> you're saying say that one more time <laughs> that um you know fixing the system so that uh, black people have the ability to accumulate generational wealth solves part of the problem, mm. but that only, you know, it just continues to entrench what the actual problem is. So eliminating generational wealth entirely fixes the whole problem, basically. That if nobody has that advantage, then we that will be a form of equality. Yeah. That that we can't achieve by making it so that, you know, some black people have the same generational wealth as a lot of white people do. Mm. Because, you know, enabling other people to uh, to ascend to the you know oligarchy doesn't solve the problem of the oligarchy. Right. It, it uh, even if we can democratize oligarchy, it's still oligarchy, and it yeah. still you know has problems. And that's what I was gonna say. That's I mean that's what's happening today. Like if we as like you know the middle and lower class really look at things like that's and it. This is a class based world. There's no question. Like, there are rich people in every single country, <laughs> and it doesn't matter what color you are. There's definitely in those those behaviors are definitely reflected regardless of what color they are. It's everywhere and i feel like there is a democratization of that happening even it's accelerating now um you know you have more money pop up in africa china um well unfortunately you've got a lot of chinese money in africa which is uh that is not not great that is unbelievable if people aren't if you have not followed up on on that there are some wild things going on in africa right now and china is definitely taking advantage of it um China is turning Africa into what America turned China into, essentially. And um, there's and there's just some heinous things going on, uh, labor labor related, uh, financially. Uh, I mean, we can go down the whole list. Yeah, I was talking mostly in terms of like debt. Um, yeah. I can't remember what the term for it is, but you know, just trapping. Yeah. African nations in debt spirals. Yeah, they give so China gives out free money to quote unquote free money to countries. Um, one of their initiatives, it's a big initiative, is the um, what's it, the Silk Road? No, 
not the Silk Road. It's the Belt Road, Belt Road Initiative. And it's a huge initiative to connect uh, essentially the Eastern Hemisphere. <clears throat> and uh, that. And so there has been a very interesting approach. It's been very aggressive. <clears throat> um, they fund a lot of um, infrastructure projects. They give them money and say, well, you don't have to pay it back. And you're like, what? And you gave me tens of millions of dollars. You don't have to pay that back? No. All we want is uh, our labor to go in there and make those bridges and <laughs> you know, make all the stuff. But it's uh, that's definitely one aspect. It's interesting. And so when the time comes to collect, uh, it's just like what America does. America comes to collect. They aren't just taking the thing that you built. They're taking land. Yeah. They're taking other infrastructure. <laughs> yeah, they're eminent domaining an entire continent. Yeah. That is not their own. <laughs> and I think that'll happen a lot sooner than we think. It's systematic. There are certain areas that are definitely uh, being targeted by China for a reason. They, I mean, they need to feed their country as well. And they're looking to also dominate the next at least 100 years. Yeah. There's plenty of resources, food. Uh, it's resource-rich, cheap labor. Well, and... Um, a rising educated uh, continent. Yeah, th- this this actually gets into something that I, that I kind of meant to talk about is that... Um, you know, just another aspect of not being honest about our history. Um, there, basically, the the kind of through line of European history for you know a couple thousand years was all about trying to get like trade with China. Yeah, that that was part of the motivation behind the Crusades. Yep. That was just it's it's been a big thing because. Up until about like the, say, 18th century, 18th, 19th century, like everyone just accepted that China was, um, you know, kind of the place that they have tons of resources, that they've got, you know, a comparatively well-educated workforce, that they they were very culturally rich. um, They they were a stable power. So. So much of our history has been all about like trying to trade with China mm-hmm. and, you know, t- take advantage of their their resources and their. Um, yeah, I, I guess I'll leave it at resources. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, there's also. Um, you know, white white supremacy is all about like w- when people aren't willing to go as far as to say that they're like white supremacists or white nationalists. They'll talk about how they're, um, how they're concerned about like Western values or, you know, European civilization as if the history of Europe isn't just a bunch of different groups of people constantly at war with each other and, you know, conquering and exploiting, um, and it's it's just kind of interesting how like at what like at what point was Europe this this you know unified beacon of freedom and enlightenment you know at, at what point in our history um and you especially have to look at um at like after the fall of the western roman empire europe entered what it traditionally has been called the dark ages and the reason that the term dark ages it has fallen out of favor with academics is that 
it was only Europe that was going through dark ages. You know, that was the Islamic golden age, I think they called it. Um, and the reason that there was a renaissance in Europe is that Europeans were, you know, kind of rediscovering not just, um, you know, R Roman and, and Greek history and um, like all of the knowledge of the ancient world, but also advances in science, math, and medicine that were being developed in the Islamic world. Mm -hmm. That that was how we came to be the Europe that we are now is because of Islam and the Arabic world that, you know, now you, you have to, in addition to all of the other lies that, that white supremacists tell about our history is you also have to denigrate Islam and Arabs as being inherently barbarous and, um, you know, uncivilized and uncivilizable when like the numbers that we use, yeah. like those came from, uh, from Arabic and they're, they're actually called Arabic numerals right. in case anyone out there didn't know that. Cause like before that we had Roman numerals yep. and that's not a great system. <laughs> like I can read Roman numerals fairly well, yeah. but, uh, I'm definitely glad we don't have to do that yeah. because of Arabs, because of Arab society that, uh, kind of helped us rediscover who we are. And, now they're just the enemy that we fight against because they're a threat to us. Yeah, it's wild. So th there's so much of that. There's so much of the history of Europe that is not like that we can't honestly credit solely it, it, and in some cases even primarily to Europeans that you know we have to acknowledge the role that the world has played in the development of Europe and obviously we couldn't do that and also exploit their resources and enslave their people and you know and all of that other stuff if we had an awareness and a a and a recognition that they helped us get to where we are. Mm. So it's, yeah, these are all the lies that are necessary to tell yep. in order to maintain the system of white supremacy is that you, you can't, you just cannot be honest with yourself and maintain that system. Yeah. It really is mind blowing. Like, I mean, just us having this conversation, like it, it's getting exhaustive. Yeah. I'm sure the audience is probably like, Oh my God, like, and that's the point. Okay, we get it. White people suck. Move on. I'm not going to say all that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I would definitely say that um, there, there is significant amount of evidence, from, you know, even just from this brief discussion. And you know, if people wish to, you, know, you can take a quick Google search and you will find very quickly. Um, and it's not stuff that was just like, proliferated like within the last couple of years like there's plenty of evidence and it's not just like regular evidence it's also like like data data driven like 
unfortunately, there's that kind of data <laughs> to prove it. Yeah. And, and, you know, to to state this one more time, yeah. because I know that, uh, you know, some people are, are still going to have trouble with this concept. Like, none of this is to say that, like, white people are bad, that um, th- none of this says anything about white people as a whole. And that's what we need to understand is that we don't need to defend whiteness, even, you know, whether or not we agree that whiteness is something that should be defended in and of itself. Mm. I, I certainly don't, but you know, even if we accept that argument, we still like nothing that we have said today is an attack on being white. No, I feel like I've been pretty good, <laughs> at least for me personally, and not attacking. And I don't feel like this isn't like, it's not an indictment on white people or this whiteness. I think it's it's an indictment on the behavior and the pattern. Yeah, exactly. Because and it just happens well, to be a lot of white people did this. Yeah. Well, because, you know, even it, like if we stopped, if we were able to put a stop to all of the things we've been talking about today, like white people would probably still, you know, hold more power, but it would be, uh, it would be more merited. Like what we're talking about is, you know, the undeserved wealth and power and influence that white people hold because of, all of these systems and this entire fiction that we've built around ourselves and we can, you know, dismantle that and still be, you know, not just still in a pretty good position, but better for all of the things that we're not standing against anymore. You know, that's rising tide, et cetera. That, that if, if we, if we stop worrying about what's good for white people and start thinking about what's good for everybody, white people still gain. White people would still benefit from that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> now, but the the gains wouldn't be concentrated in white people, which is what people are so afraid of. Yeah, that's what it is. That's exactly what this is all coming down to. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's... uh. There is definitely a, you hit it, and it's definitely a thing where if you are seeing other people come up to your standard, then you're probably falling behind, um, or it's being taken from you in some malicious way. And that, I, I, I think or, we're, or just in any way that it's a threat to you that people who are not like you are succeeding. Right. And I feel like there's a little bit of conditioning to that because um, Americans, I think, by nature are competitive. And so when you see a competitor, uh, you know, coming up on you, it, is it like, am I slowing down? Am I not on my game? Like, you know, um, and th- there might be something to be said about that, uh, that mentality, but it's not, that's not what it is. And uh, you can go to the different examples back from the day where you have people that, right, back in the day, back in the 1800s, you know, we had land rush. Was it the 1800s? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, the Sooners. The Sooners went out and took land 
way before they were supposed to. <laughs> yeah. well, not, or not, not, not land. That was gold, if I remember right. Well, the, the gold rush. But yeah. I mean, that was accompanied by land because we were still right. expanding. Exactly. And how much do you know about the Homestead Act? Um, That, Mr. Barr, I'm so sorry. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> Mr. Barr, he was... I, <laughs> as people can probably can't tell, I, yeah, I refer to him a lot. He was one of my favorite history teachers. Um, and I failed him <laughs> again. <laughs> so the Homestead Act yes. was, um, was a program that gave away huge parcels of land to, you know, primarily white people. Okay. Um, I do remember that Mr. Barr. Like during, during reconstruction mainly. So yeah. we, you know, we emancipated slaves. We passed the 13th Amendment. We, um, you know, we were trying to rebuild the country and the government gives land, gives like most of the land that the U.S. had claimed to at the time almost entirely to white people. Mm. And uh, and that's just another example of, yep. you know, preventing black people from accumulating wealth because... Nice. Because like land and and just generally home ownership is you know one of the main sources apart from generational wealth that's the biggest that's the biggest one biggest um, source of generating wealth that people have access to and mostly black people did not get that yeah even right. though you know forty acres and a mule um, so yeah well yeah we still do that <laughs> um, yeah we still do that little bit of land. It was like 2 million square feet or something like that over by South Carolina down to Georgia. That was supposed to be land set aside for black people. Man. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. 40 acres one day and a mule. But I think it was up to 40 acres and a mule. That's the, that's the, the that's same. the dodge. Yeah. It's up to 40 acres and a mule. So, I mean, I'll take up, I'll take an acre. I don't have to get 40. Let me get an acre. <laughs> Especially in Washington, yeah. <laughs> this land is expensive up here. <laughs> yeah, so so that's that's just more of what you're yeah. talking about is that uh, yep. yeah there was there was the gold rush, but the gold rush was accompanied by you know continuing westward expansion of the United States territory. So yeah, it's all it's all part of the same thing. Yeah, I mean you can still look at the demographics today, like who occupies most of the West Coast. <laughs> well and i i th- I think i was going to say this earlier but maybe i got cut off or something but like portland was explicitly established as a white supremacist um like settlement yeah i does not surprise me if people and have ever not been, that much has changed not that much has changed it's wild down there in oregon it's wild uh, it is surprisingly racist surprisingly racist um and it's not indictment again on Oregon. Like there's some gorgeous areas in Oregon. Like Bend, Oregon's one of my favorite places. Um the Deschutes. I think Deschutes is located there. It's a great brewery. Um, but it's also a gorgeous city. But like, yeah, that's just my little digression. I'm not gonna knock Oregon, but there's a serious problem there. And yeah, I and, and did that's not know that's that. why it's it's not a coincidence that uh, the Portland police union right. you know, set the agenda, you know, that they were they like established what police unions are yeah, basically. So did. we can trace it all to Portland. Hey, Portlandia. Not like it at all, <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, it, yeah, you gotta take the mask off of that stuff. Like you know, it's not, not the happy go lucky looking place. And that actually did surprise me in terms of like, I didn't know like it was a stronghold. I just thought there was a lot of 
racist activity going on there. So that's very interesting. I won't be going there anytime soon. Yeah. <sighs> so, so, you know, that's just one more example of like white people need to succeed. And in order for that to happen, we need to prevent other people from succeeding. So that, that's, that's what this whole episode has been basically. It's wild. Because like black people can succeed. At least we still do, and under all these circumstances, and I'm sure that angers you know, white supremacists even more. And I can see that also being threatening. It's like, man, these guys going, we putting all this crap on them, and they still are thriving. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the hell, <laughs> they're like cockroaches. <laughs> terrible, terrible analogy. You can't keep them down, and boy, have we tried. Boy, we stomped on them quite literally. <laughs> still keep rising. That's what black people do. That's what we do. But we're, we're not the only ones. Black people ain't the only ones. Like, it's just human nature. We got to survive. We got to survive. But, yeah, was there, a, was there some other forms of white supremacy that you uh, wanted to talk Oh, there, there are always more, but no, that's not what I'm doing on my phone right now. Okay. Uh, so I thought there was another point that you saw. I was like, oh, here we go. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's related to a different issue we were talking about earlier. Okay. <laughs> um, no, no, don't worry about it. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's what I've got for today. Okay. That's, this is a great conversation. I feel, um, I hope, I hope this resonated a little bit or a lot, actually a lot, um, with some that are out there. Um, we are just having conversations and these are conversations that need to be had and not just conversations, but we need to have action behind it. Like this is getting old for real. It's getting old. Like, I don't know why we keep having these problems. Like it's yeah, it's, it, it's weird. It's really weird. I'm anyways, I'm stammering now. I'm just, I'm so tired of it. I'm so tired of it. And we will get past this. Like, I know we talked about this before, and we will say it every time. And getting past it, like, needs to happen now. Not like, oh, we're going to get past it in the future. Now. Let's start today. That's all I got. All right. Well, thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time.